On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast, part two of our 35-year retrospective on the debut of the Calgary Cannons. Welcome to episode 87 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. Believe it or not, it's been 35 years since the Calgary Cannons made their Pacific Coast League debut. Earlier this week, we celebrated their very first game at Foothill Stadium, which happened on April 22, 1985. It was actually delayed a few days thanks to the snow and cold. It actually turned out to be kind of a perfect way to start the home schedule for Russ Parker and his team as he had gone through a few different delays and issues just bringing AAA baseball to Calgary. We put together a full retrospective story, which you can now read at albertadugoutstories.com. To mark the occasion further, we thought we'd catch up with a trio of players who made their way through Calgary in that 1985 season. We'll start things off with Harold Reynolds. He bounced back and forth between the Cannons and Seattle Mariners that season, actually struggling early on to even get playing time in Calgary with the amount of talent in that lineup. Reynolds emerged in a big way, hitting 363 with five home runs, 30 RBIs, and nine stolen bases in just 52 games. He'd return in 1986 for another 29 games before becoming an everyday major leaguer in 1987. The current TV analyst is first up on this edition of the podcast. Harold, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Take us back to 1985. You started the year in Seattle, then you ended up heading north and east to Calgary. What went through your mind then as a 23 or 24-year-old? Uh, well, obviously, you know, you're disappointed you don't make the big league club. That's the first thing. But um, going to Calgary, I knew we had a loaded team. And, uh, you know, so it was going to be a, a good experience. But I'd always loved being in Canada. You know, I played in the, in the Coast League and grew up in Oregon in the Northwest. And so I'd been to Vancouver before. Uh, you play in Edmonton, Calgary, uh, Vancouver. So I'd been through Canada. So I was kind of excited about that and being in Pacific Coast League and being near enough to the Northwest with Tacoma was a team at the time. Portland had a team and then you go up through Canada. So uh, that was going to be good and exciting, but I didn't know much about Calgary, although uh, Mike Riley, uh, you probably heard of Bud Riley and Mike Riley won, won uh, Grey Cups up there. Mike Riley had grown up with my older brother, Don. And so I'd known Mike my whole life and kind of followed his dad, Bud, and Mike's success in the Canadian Football League. So I had a little bit of an idea what that was. They'd been in Calgary before with the Stampede. So I started, I had a little sense of what Calgary was like, but uh, nothing like it until I got there. Were you surprised at all about the baseball feel in Calgary? Because the 85 was the first year for the Cannon squad. And you had, like you said, you had a loaded team, but did you know kind of what to expect when you showed up at Foothill stadium? Well, the first thing we knew it was going to be cold in Canada at that Mm -hmm. time of year in April going up there. But what we did not know, uh, our triple A team had been in Salt Lake city before. So you get some turbulent weather in Salt Lake and we we played actually the month of April a few times with, with snow on the ground and scraped it off to the side and played in in uh, Salt Lake City. So I was kind of expecting that. But the difference to Salt Lake and, and, and Calgary 
with Salt Lake, we had a locker room or a clubhouse, and you could just walk right in, you know, 10 feet away. Once you left the locker room in Calgary, you walked across the field to the stadium, and there was no going inside. You were stuck sitting in the dugout outside. You had to stand on first base. It was for reason cold. So that was the biggest adjustment of it all. I was doing a little reading, and you had some struggles earlier on. You were challenging for playing time because that team was so loaded, fighting for a job after the successes that you had. Was that difficult at all, having to, to try to deal with that? Well, it wasn't necessarily fighting for, for uh, opportunity. I was so much on the big league shuffle that they wanted to get you know Danny Tartable at bats and then moved him to second a little bit. He ended up playing short and hit, I think, 40 home runs that year. Um, so... Yeah, when you go to the minor leagues and you're a big leaguer, you want to play every day. I mean, that's the last thing on your mind. You're thinking you're not going to get playing time. But I did understand that I was going back and forth between Seattle. Uh, but when I got settled in, I really actually had a really good year up there. I think I hit like 360 or something like that. I played great. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a good time for me. I loved the city. I loved the people. And, uh, it, yeah, it ended up being a really good opportunity for me. Reading into that as well, you later admitted you grew up a little bit during your stretch here. What happened during that stretch? Well, I think the biggest thing is is uh, you start to change your focus a little bit. Um, I think the biggest growth for anybody who's a minor league baseball player is you start looking at all 30 teams, not just the one team you're affiliated with, with an organization. Like I was in the Marin organization, and I always had come that direction and and uh, in my personal timetable, I should have been in the big leagues even a year earlier. But uh, it didn't work out that way. And once I got to Calgary, I started looking around, and my eyes kind of opened up like, well, shoot, there's 30 teams out here. Um, so I think that was the growth. Um, it wasn't like I was an immature person I needed to grow up. It was more basically expanding my vision of I'm not going to be stuck worrying about just the Mariners and Actually, I started looking around uh, that spring that I got sent up there. The Mariners had actually tried to trade me to the Giants, and the day that the trade the trade was to be commenced, uh, the pitcher they trade me for broke his ankle, and and so I ended up in Calgary. Um, so that was kind of um, all part of it, and I think that's that was part of the growth of okay, I was actually ready to go somewhere else. I'm here. We'll see how things work out. So you ended up spending 52 games up here over the course of the 85 campaign. Any memories that stick out for you during your time here? I stayed with a family up there. I, 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 you know, Forgive me, I forget their names now. The greatest people. They, they gave me a car, let me drive around. But I think the, the thing that stands out in any part of Canada, when you travel Canada and you get a chance to go up that way, is the hospitality. The people second to none and i've traveled all over the world and it is the nicest group of people you'll ever come across and uh calgary was was like that you know people greeted you open arms uh treated you well um and that was that's a reputation of of canadians and they lived up to it and then some. when i mention the name russ parker what comes to mind for you well russ was the owner of the cannons you know and uh, it was a big endeavor for him to take the team. I remember him coming down to spring training and 
and uh, talking about he's going to have a team and he's going to be the guy who owns the team in Calgary. But he, uh, there's no baseball in Calgary without Russ doing what he did. He, he stuck his neck out, put his heart and soul into it. He was a great minor league manager. Um, I, I don't know if you really know, but a lot of minor league managers at that time, you know, we're talking mid-80s. Uh, now, if you go to a minor league complex in 2020, uh, you may as well be walking to a major league stadium. Uh, back then, most minor league ballparks, uh, players weren't taken care of that well. And Russ took care of us like champs. And I, I think, you know, being the first group, uh, the first class that came through Calgary, it was new to the city, it was new to him. Uh, they threw the shiny toy on, on us like we were the firstborn. And it was awesome to be a part of it. And, and he, made it, he made that happen. Any favorite teammates or road trips that you took that you go think back and go, how did we live through that? Or, you know, those kinds of fun experiences? Uh, Dave Valley and I, we, we did a lot of stuff. Pat Casey, who ended up being a uh, college baseball coach at Oregon State, ended up being a Hall of Fame college coach. He was on that team with us for a while. We, we used to hit uh, every day, batting practice and different drills. But Dave Valley stands out because we always hitchhike together on the road. we go to movie theaters and stick our fingers out and hitchhike down the road. Um, it was really a really close-knit group of guys. But Dave stands out because we went to movies together all the time. Any life lessons that you took away from that time of bouncing between levels of baseball? Yeah, I think the biggest life lesson for me was um, I, I wasn't going to control my, my, my destiny. And I'm, I think it's my timetable, and it's not. Um, you know, I really believe that God orders our steps. And it was just a time of quietness for me. And to trust and believe in my abilities and talents that uh, I was going to get to where I needed to get to. And so I guess the life lesson out of that is is uh, don't keep trying to knock the wall down. You know, open your eyes and see what's going on around you. And as uh, doors open, they're going to open up for you in the right time. So I, I, I learned a lot during that time. And I think I learned a lot about work ethic, extra work, things like that. Um, which I already had a pretty good understanding of, but I think I learned how to work uh, properly. You know, it's one thing to have a lot of work. It's another thing to to work where it's going to be beneficial to, to you and your game. So all that came out of Calgary. You mentioned the uh, doors that open and close, and one of the doors that opened for you after your playing career was over was the broadcasting side. How did that door become open for you? Uh, it's a funny story. I was actually, the Arizona Diamondbacks had became an organization. Uh, they started playing games in 97 or 98, but 96, I was at the Super Bowl in Phoenix. And Roland Eamon, who was my uh, general manager when I played for the Baltimore Orioles in 93, I'd ran into him and I was like, what are you doing in Arizona, Roland? He's like, oh, I'm going to be you know, the new president here, running the new team, the Diamondbacks. You ought to come meet with Jerry Colangelo, the owner, and Buck Showalter, the manager. and So I sat down with those guys, and they said, hey, what, what are you doing now? And I said, well, I haven't figured out what I'm going to do. I might try to go back and play this year. And they said, well, why don't you come work with us? So I actually had a bunch of meetings with the Diamondbacks. They wanted me to work in their community affairs. And then Jerry Colangelo said, look, we're not starting for two years. 
why don't you go over to Arizona? I'll set you up, uh, fly over to LA from Arizona and I'll set you up with Fox. They're doing a Fox baseball auditions. I think you'd be really good and it'd be great for our ball club to have some publicity. So I went over and did that audition. Next thing you know, I'm one of the finals in Fox. I get a call from ESPN and that was the beginning of my broadcasting career. Would you have ever imagined being a player that you'd end up being on that other side of the microphone? Well, I had a few different opportunities. I don't think anybody ever thinks you're going to end up doing what I did. My my, uh, run on broadcast has been great for me. Um, I knew I was going to do something involved with community and with people, and I did a lot of interviews when I was playing, so I handled that. Uh, But I think you don't understand there's so much more to what you're doing, asking questions, speaking into a microphone, than just asking the questions and speaking into a microphone. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that go on, and that's why a lot of guys end up not being able to do it. Um, So two two phases to your, your question. So, yes, I could see myself doing it, but also now that I've been in it a long time, I understand why guys cannot do it. It's not that easy. And uh, so I've been fortunate to have people that were able to train me early on, and I've been able to do this and, and, and do it for a long time. Was that transition difficult for you? Um, no, I, I didn't think so. I think it was more difficult on other people listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was good, but I'll give you a quick story. Um, the biggest change for me was actually the second day that I was broadcasting. Uh, the first day I did a show uh, with Carl Ravitch and the crew out there on Baseball Tonight, and it was okay. And the next show I did was the next day with Chris Berman. And they had been telling me, you know, make sure you enunciate and pronounce your words right and sit on your jacket and all these TV cliche-ish things that you might see uh, on some TV show. And that's what I, I was told for like a week before my first show. So I do my second show, sitting down, and it's like 30 seconds before we go on the air. And Chris Berman turns to me and goes, look, you see that tube right there? And he starts pointing at one of the cameras. He goes, it's me, you, and the boys in the bar. You're just talking (laughs) baseball. All that other garbage they told you the last week and a half, just throw it out of your mind. Be yourself. The next thing you know, he's welcoming the audience, and he's calling plays, and he's spinning around his chair, and all of a sudden, I was like, one, stunned, and I was laughing through the whole show. But he made me realize that you got to have fun, man. You got to be yourself. Don't be somebody else. Be you. And that has been a life lesson in television for me. And that happened on day two. Awesome. As you look back on your career, both on and off the field, all you've accomplished, what are you most proud of? I guess the longevity. You know, uh, when I look back at my my baseball career and and now, like I said, being on this side of the microphone, you see players come and go every day. Uh, Somebody's in the big leagues, he's for a week, a year, a season, and the next thing you know, he's out, he he never gets back. So to have played as long as I did in the big leagues, that's one. And then in the broadcasting side to, you know, this is my 20th season broadcasting. So... Uh, to have been able to do this for this long a period of time. So you throw those two together, my whole adult life I've been really just playing baseball and talking about it, which is uh, nothing I trained for or planned on. 
uh, but it's turned out great. I love asking this question of our guests. What does the game of baseball mean to you? Well, I love it. I mean, uh, it's hard not to love the game of baseball, but I guess what the game means to me, it's almost like a metaphor for life in that you can go three for ten and you're in the Hall of Fame, but you failed seven times. And so what baseball's done for me is put things in perspective. And when you're having a good day or a bad day, or up or down, uh, it puts it in perspective that you're not as bad as you think you are and you're not as good as you think you are. So it keeps you pretty much on an even keel. Harold, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reaching out. Next up is Pat Casey. His name might not be super familiar as he didn't actually crack an MLB lineup in eight years of pro baseball. But in 1985-86, Casey was dynamite for the Cannons, hitting 288 with 31 home runs and 120 RBIs in 225 games. He would go on to become one of the most successful college coaches, starting with the George Fox Bruins before moving on to the Oregon State Beavers in 1995. He would stay there until 2018, and when all was said and done, the team won the College World Series three times, and he was named the Baseball America College Coach of the Year in 2006. He's still involved in the program and took some time over the last couple of weeks to reminisce. Pat, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm uh, happy to be here and uh, looking forward to visiting with you guys. Take us back to 1985, and you get told, hey, you're going to Calgary. Wow, yeah. Well, you know, I was a free agent that year and signed with uh, Seattle because, uh, you know, I just thought that it was it was uh, uh, actually uh, – I got traded to him, I guess, year before. I'm trying to go back in my mind. I, I uh, got traded to him uh, in spring training of that year, and so – I was with the Padres, got traded over, uh, flew into Tempe, and didn't know one soul in the in the Mariners organization other than Harold Reynolds, and so uh, it was it was great for me. I was excited about going to AAA, excited about the fact that I was going to be in the Pacific Northwest because I grew up in Oregon, and so uh, fun time for me. And uh, man, what a city! What was your first impression when you arrived? Because obviously you you started out on the road, but there was that uh, thought of, oh, there's going to be winter around the corner too. <laughs> well, we spent six weeks of spring training in Tempe, Arizona. And then we opened up, like you said, we were in Phoenix and Tucson, if I recall it right, for six and six. So we were there for another two weeks. So we were almost two months in the desert. When we get into Calgary and there is snow. And these people are going crazy wanting to play, um, you know, AAA baseball. I think it's the first time. And, um, you know, had a great owner there with Russ. And uh, everybody's excited. But there was, you know, um, if I can recall it, more than a foot of snow on the ground and um, colder than heck. And I think we missed the first couple days, first couple games. And then they just pushed the snow up against the fences and around the foul, outside the foul lines there. And um, we played. And it was uh, wind chill factor, extremely cold. And uh, but man, crowd was crazy. Loved it. They were excited. Um, had a had an unbelievable time there. My first son was born there in July July seventh, eighty five in Calgary. So um, my wife and I enjoyed it. Loved loved absolutely loved Calgary. Did you find it difficult at all at times, or trying to talk down teammates? Maybe going, what in the heck are we doing in this frozen tundra to start off April? <laughs> well, when you're in AAA, everybody's got one thing on their mind, and that's getting the hell out of there. I don't care where you're at. 
Tucson, you know, Albuquerque, uh, they want to get to the show. So mm-hmm. um, the guys that I can really remember having a hard time with, Danny Tartable was just miserable. He played shortstop with a uh, batting glove on his throwing hand. And, of course, that that was uh, got to Bobby Floyd pretty good. I thought it was funny. Uh, but the rest of the guys, you know, it was it was man. You tell you what, you didn't have a lot of time to um, worry about how damn cold it was because you were trying to survive. So um, you know, we had had a great club that year, and um, you know, we lost Harold real early. But um, you know, uh, Mickey Mickey Brantley and I uh, became pretty good friends in that club after Harold left, and Dave Valley was on that club, and Jerry Dubzinski was on that club. So you know, we just had some we had some great great players, Jamie Allen. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it was just odd. I don't really recall anybody complaining that much. You mentioned all the teammates and that. Any favorite memories of road trips or that kind of thing that, that really stick out to you all these years later? Well, you know, I just, I remember, um, I remember going on the road and obviously my, it was my first year in, in the Coast League, so I enjoyed all the cities other than Hawaii. One of the things that I I, I really uh, sticks in my mind is, uh, we were going over to Hawaii and Harold had already gone up and, you know, you play eight games and you go to Hawaii. So we go to Hawaii and these guys are telling me the story about Harold not getting a hit in Hawaii and uh, going the whole series and not getting a hit. And I was laughing my butt off. And, you know, when I got there, my very first at bat, very first at bat in Hawaii, I hooked a double down the line and Dana DeMuth, who ended up being a longtime big league umpire, called me out for missing first base. And I went the next five games and didn't get a hit. And, and they didn't play me the last two games. So I never opened my mouth again about nobody getting hit in Hawaii. So um, had a great time. Roy Thomas uh, was a veteran guy. Uh, he was a right-hand pitcher, played in the big leagues for a while. He was down. His wife flew in, and I was coming in from uh, staying out too late because I hadn't gone game five without a hit. And I was with a guy named Clay Hill, and he, uh, Roy threw me the keys to his Jeep and said, hey, you guys go have a good time. So. Um, fond memories about that whole that whole experience. Um, loved it. Loved Calgary. Loved the people. Um, just thought it was a, it was a first class city. Not only that, but you also had a, a couple of really good seasons here in Calgary. What was going well for you here? Well, you know, great place to hit. That's the first thing. Um, and plus, I enjoyed being there. I did not enjoy my experience with San Diego Padres. And when I was with them, um, I was playing in the outfield. And somebody got injured in double A, and they wanted me to go to first base and play there for a short period of time, and which I did. And I knew we had Steve Garvey in the big leagues, and we had Joe Lansford at AAA. And so the next year when I come in, they kept me there. you know. And I said, hey, I thought I was going to go back to the outfield. Well, apparently that bothered the manager, Dick Williams. And, of course, lo and behold, I get traded to Seattle. And uh, and uh, Chuck Cartier was the manager. He actually called me. I got called up uh, for a spring training game. My first at bat in spring training game was in Tucson, Arizona. And I batted against Vern Rule, and I hit a home run. And uh, I said, geez, I'm in the big leagues. And the next day, Tardwell and I were sent back. Hey, here's your steak sandwich. So you, guys, you guys go back to your field. So um, anyway, Cartier liked me. And, um, you know, had, had wanted me to be a big league player, inspired me and all that kind of stuff. Of course, they let him go and they hired Dick Williams. And so I was kind of, you know, that, that thing frustrated me a little bit uh, as far as my career goes. But as far as the Mariners organization outside of that, I really enjoyed it. I loved my experience with Calgary. Um, 
you know, just had a, just had a great time being a, being a professional baseball player in, in Canada. Would you have ever expected when you were playing then that you would have ended up going the route you did, which is the, the coaching route? <laughs> Never. Because I played eight years. You know, I signed at, when, when my contract expired with Seattle, I went, I came home to Portland and played for the Twins for a year and didn't even finish out that year. It was released in the middle of that year by uh, Charlie Manuel, was our manager at the time. And he called me and said, Seattle wants to re-sign you. And I play, had played eight years of minor league baseball and said, you know, I think I've had enough. And uh, so I went home, and i I'll never forget, I got a call. I wasn't home two days, and I got a call from the athletic director at George Fox College that asked me if I'd be interested in coaching baseball at George Fox, which was a small high school. And I said, absolutely not. You know, I've played eight years of minor league baseball. Uh, ready to move on, do something different. Uh, I'm going to get a real estate license and shoot four or five days later. I took the job for some crazy reason. And they had the understanding that if something transpired uh, with baseball that I would I would take that opportunity. And so Seattle did call me. Uh, Bill Woodward called me. They wanted to send me to Chattanooga for two weeks and get ready to go AAA. And I said I wasn't going to do that. And uh, so uh, that was a done deal. Later, maybe late July, Baltimore called and asked me if I'd go to Rochester. And I said I would if they guaranteed me a spot on the 40-man roster the next year. And they said they couldn't do that. And that's how my coaching career started. So – uh, never dreamed that I'd be a baseball coach. Never had a desire to be a baseball coach. And um, fortunately for me, some of the bad decisions that I thought I made turned out to be pretty good. What does it mean to you that you've been able to now have this career attached to baseball the way you have, even though it might not have been what you first envisioned going into it? Well, you know, first of all, like I said, it's just a blessing that I had the opportunity to coach. You know, I, I, I never reached out even at Oregon state. I was, I had told my wife I, the crazy story is that I was making $3,000 a year being the head coach at, at George Fox. And so I was uh, cleaning the pizza parlor in the morning at five o'clock in the morning. I was uh, uh, helping remodel houses. I was um, doing any type of odd job you could do. And, you know, after our third child, she said, Hey, you know, it might be time to grow up and get a job. And, I said, you're right. And so I wasn't going to co- I was going to finish that year at George Fox. So I had a really good club coming back, go one more year. And I got a call from the guy who said, Hey, how come you didn't apply for the job at Oregon state? And I said, well, I know they're going to hire their assistant. He's a really good guy. I like him. And, um, because we play him, you know, in preseason. And he said, well, you know what? I think you should, man. I think you'd be a great candidate for that job. You guys have played them before. They know who you are. So I drove down to Oregon State, handed my resume in, and the gal said, I'm not even sure the job's still open. So I thought, okay, this is perfect. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And uh, that was sometime in early July. And then I was hired August 4th to be the head baseball coach at Oregon State University. And uh, uh, it was, uh, you know, um, not a dream come true because I never really dreamed it. But it certainly was uh, – a boost to uh, me as to what I wanted to do. I knew then, um, okay, now I'm going to be a baseball coach. Now I'm going to make a living being a baseball coach. Now I can, I can, I can set my feet somewhere and know that this is what I'm going to do. And so, uh, I was given an unbelievable opportunity and, uh, if it could have been anybody, you know, I didn't have any better credentials than the guys 
that um, were the final four, and I was just uh, the fortunate one that got the job. What are some of the lessons you learned while you were in Calgary or elsewhere in the minors that you've passed along to those young men who uh, are trying to become the next Pat Casey or go even further? Well, I think I think some of my biggest strengths were some of my biggest weaknesses as a player. You know, um, back when I played minor league baseball, they didn't treat you very good. You know, the organizations didn't. You know, when you got to a minor league city, generally those are people who really, you know, appreciated the fact, you know, if you're in double A and that was a double A city, that was big time baseball to them and you were treated well. But the organizations as a whole in the early 80s did not treat minor league players very well as far as pay, bus rides, um, those kinds of things. Um, you were a number. Um, there's very no nothing like it is today. Everybody gets to go to big league camp and play a game. Um, you know, you got more teams, you got more opportunities. Back then, man, I tell you what, it was tough to get a shot. It was tough to get in. And, you know, I played behind AD, Alvin Davis at first base. He was an all star. Played behind Steve Garvey at uh, San Diego. He was an all star. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. And, and, and I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of knowledge of what it meant to be a baseball player. You know, I played basketball and football in high school, and that was way more exciting to me than baseball. Uh, I never thought about really going on and being a baseball player. I, we, you know, we didn't lift weights back then. Um, you know, I just didn't have a lot of guidance as to what it, what you do to prepare to become a baseball player. We didn't have hitting cages um, at the time in my small town when I'd come home in the wintertime. Basically, I was a dad. I was a husband. Um, you know, there was no working out and having a strength guy or a condition guy. You just went to work and then you went to spring training. So, um, I didn't. I don't think I had very good discipline in my uh, in my habits with uh, becoming a baseball player. I, I don't think I had very good vision. I don't think that I understood how uh, how much mental work goes into it and how much um, you know you tie that in with what you do physically as well. But you know, if you're not mentally prepared to do something, you're not going to do uh, physically what you need to do very well. So um, I think some of the things that I think kept me from becoming a better player or a more productive player um, are some of the things that I encourage guys to look at. I instilled in our reputation and, um, you know, those things worked out, man. I tell you, it's amazing what happens when you um, uh, ignite the senses of motivation with someone, what they can do as compared to what they think they can do. What did you learn about yourself over the course of your professional career, including in Calgary? What kinds of things have you taken away and and always kept with you? Oh, absolutely. You know, I learned a lot of things. I learned from other players, good and bad. I watched players that had great habits. I had I watched guys that had bad habits. I watched guys that did it right off the field. I watched guys that did it wrong off the field. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I I appreciated how much that city, how much that organization how much the Calgary Cannons front office and those people cared about baseball and cared about what, what we were doing. We were treated really well there. And, you know, you, that was the first time you got to fly. Um, there's just a lot of good things there. But, I, I heck, yes, man. I, I could go back and tell you, every year that I played, and, uh, and it was, there was something that I learned along the way that either helped me in a positive way um, you know, or I could have allowed um, those negative at the time, um, whether it was my own doing or watching somebody else. But, you know, I played with such great players. I played with people that had 
you know, you go up there and you watch somebody work on hitting the ball the other way, let's say, you know, someone that was just a consummate professional, you know, you watch somebody go up there and, 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 um, prepare themselves to play the game, you know? And so I learned a ton from that. I learned from the managers I played for. You know, I really liked, uh, uh, Bobby Floyd. I really liked Bill Plummer. I liked them both. They're very good to me. Um, you know, I, 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 I learned what it meant to, um, uh, prepare yourself to play every day. You know, you play repeatedly, you know, every day, you know, and, uh, so, so those things were important to me. And, um, like I said, you know, we, we really fell in love with the people up there. We had some great, great people that took care of us. Um, and, and of course, like I said, our owner was off the chart. Russ was a, a, an absolute 10 and, um, you know, we, we just felt like we were, treated very very well and it was a special time for the city with their i believe it was the first time they ever had triple a baseball up there i know they had a ball up there but um it was a great experience you mentioned one guy that i wanted to get some thoughts on that being mr baseball himself here in this province and in in the city of calgary uh when i say russ parker what comes to mind <laughs> every time i saw russ parker i think he had a suit and tie on and looked like he just walked out of a hair shop you know what i mean the guy mm-hmm. was uh absolutely uh just uh, uh dressed to the nines and, and sharp and um articulate and uh kind and you know kind of a soft-spoken guy um just thought the guy was uh didn't interfere you know he wasn't one of those owners that stand there looking over his shoulder but he wasn't a guy that uh, nobody ever saw um i thought he really cared about baseball really cared about the city you know here's a guy that um, that could have done anything he wanted with his money, and he wanted to bring AAA baseball there. Um, just like I said, I just thought that the um, that the uh, opportunities we were given and the way we were treated in Calgary were different than any other opportunity at any other place I had been. And I had been in some great cities, and some, most of the, most of the organizations. When I say organizations, not the professional organizations, but the the management uh, that's running those. Um, those clubs, whether you're in Beaumont, Texas, or whether you're in Reno, Nevada, or, um, Salem, Virginia, most of those guys were really, really good. Uh, but they just didn't have a lot of money. You know, they didn't have a lot of, you know, you're in minor leagues and they, they cut corners. Uh, Russ never did. I always felt like we were very well taken care of. Felt like it was always first class. Felt like that uh, we were treated like big leaguers. And um, I, there's nothing. My wife and I met some very good people up there stayed in contact with them for a long, long time. Uh, like I said, my first son, Jonathan, was born there July 7th, 1985. Um, I learned what the, na- the uh, Canadian National Anthem was. How's that? You asked <laughs> if I learned something. See, it's pretty, pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, just have a, I have a fond memory. One of the things we want to do, and our, our oldest son is a special needs kid that was born there, and um, he always wants to go back. He's always wanted to go back. And... Uh, you know, we, uh, we, we're going to do that. We're going to, we're going to, now that I'm out of coaching, you know, when you, when you're coaching, you don't have time to do anything. I mean, you are absolutely consumed, um, with coaching because you have 35 players, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and you're responsible for everything about them. So we're looking forward to doing something like that. Looking forward to getting up there. Um, would love to, uh, you know, just look at the city, you know, we got there, we went downtown, like I said, the first night we were snowed out. We went downtown, and, uh, and I can't remember the road street we were on, but it's got to be a, 
a very popular street because there was a bar on every side of the street and everybody knew the cannons were in town and everybody was toasting us and everybody was trying to buy us a drink and it was absolutely uh, a hoot and we had a great time and um, you know I think about the players who were there that year you know shoot Johnny Johnny Moses and Dave Valley and Harold Reynolds and uh, Danny Tarbold Darnell Coles uh, Choo Choo Chambers Billy Swift uh, shoot, you know, Mickey Brantley, and there's more, you know, Zivzinski came in later, Jamie Allen was there, so just a great, great group of guys, and um, like I said, I personally really liked Bobby Floyd, I personally really liked Bill Plummer, I, I had a great time playing for those guys, and, and loved uh, to always say that I was a Calgary Cannon. Wonderful stuff, final question for you here. And I love asking this question of all of our guests. What does the game of baseball mean to you? Uh, I think it's the greatest uh, game that I look at as a uh, major sport because you can't run the clock out. You can't take a knee. You can't take a timeout and say, we're going to give the ball to our best shooter. We're going to throw the pass to our best receiver. Um, It is a game that takes – not only perseverance, but it takes um, it takes intelligence, it takes thought, it takes time, it takes um, into account everything. And the reason it's a pastime because you can actually take somebody to the game, you can sit down and talk to them, pitch and change. Hey, here's why they're doing that. In between innings, hey, you go get your coke. You go to a football or basketball game, you're standing on your feet for the entire deal. People are screaming. There's no way to actually have a relationship or talk to somebody sitting next to you. I think it brings the fans uh, to the players and the players to the fans greater than any other sport there was. And, I mean, it is really important. You know, you think about a sport where a guy runs all the way to the dugout and he takes his hat off and you can see his face uh, right there. You're within two feet of him if you're sitting in the front row. Um, You have to do it every day. Um, It's not 16 football weekends. Uh, you know, it's 162, and it's a grind, and it's a man's world. So um, the great the great game of baseball is the reason it's the national pastime and always will be. Pat, I appreciate all that you've brought to the conversation. Thanks so much for waxing a little nostalgic with us, and congratulations on all of the success you've had over the years. Hey, thank you very much. The best to you, my friend. And finally, we head to the dugout of the Arizona Diamondbacks to check in with hitting coach Darnell Coles. He played with eight teams over his 14-year MLB career, which started with the Seattle Mariners after they drafted him in the first round of the 1980 amateur draft. Coles found himself with the Cannons for 31 games in 1985, where he hit 320 with four home runs and 24 RBIs. Many Canadian baseball fans remember him for his time with the Toronto Blue Jays during their 1993 World Series run. We talked about that and more in a chat earlier this week. Darnell, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Um, I just am looking forward to talking a little bit about my days in Calgary. I mean, that was that was fun times. I can only imagine. Take us back to that time, 1985. You're challenging for a position with Seattle Mariners, and you end up getting sent back down to AAA, Calgary in particular. What goes through your mind? Well, first, uh, I, my my first thought was I got to buy as much cold weather gear as I possibly could think of because I figured that uh, obviously we weren't playing indoors, we'd be outdoors, and I and that time of year is pretty cold. So I, I made sure I invested in the right amount of extra clothing to get me through at least the first <laughs> part of the season. 
outside of the weather, any expectations you had? I mean, this is a brand new organization we're talking about. No, I mean, I, I just think that um, it's just another opportunity to figure out a way to get back to the big leagues. I use this as uh, an opportunity for me to get better and, and, and try and understand, uh, you know, getting the AAA, getting my wife there, getting situated, um, making sure that uh, you're in the right frame of mind to start the season because you know, with the Mariners, there is a chance that you could get called up at any point in time. So I was just preparing myself to go down, play well, and get back to the big leagues as quick as I possibly could. So the Cannons started off pretty well that season. I think you were 6-2 and two to start, and, then, and that was all on the road. You end up heading home, and you end up in the grasp of old man winter. What was it like from a player's perspective to sit there and twiddle your thumbs waiting for that opening day at the ballpark in Calgary? Well, I mean, it's always, uh, well, one, you're, you're excited because it's a, a, a new place that you haven't been to. Um, you know, you don't know, um, you know, as far as how big a crowd you're going to get. Uh, you figured you'd get better crowds or bigger crowds um, later in the summer. But um, early in the season when it's freezing out, um, you would have thought that, oh, well, you know, I don't know exactly what kind of crowd you're going to get, but. I think we had pretty good crowds. Uh, I, I know that um, being that I played up in that area and having uh, played in Toronto, that, uh, you know, Canadians love their baseball. I know that. And um, I, I just know that we had a wonderful time there, me and my wife. Um, the people of Calgary were absolutely fantastic. I mean, I wasn't there long, but I was there long enough to know that uh, – uh, Calgary was a great place for baseball, and I was just happy I got an opportunity to play that. Did you take part in any of the snowball fights that happened when that first game was supposed to happen? Well, I think I did. I, I, I would gander guess that I did. I'm sure um, uh, I fired one or two uh, at Danny Tarnable for some unknown reason, but uh, I think that, you know, in the in the big picture, um, we all had a great time. It was a wonderful place to play. Um, there were some great players there. Obviously, Danny Tartable was there. Edgar Martinez was there. Harold, amongst a few. Obviously, you know uh, that uh, Edgar was is a uh, Hall of Famer. So um, just to be uh, a part of that and, and knowing some of those guys, Danny Tartable quite possibly had one of the best AAA seasons anybody's had. Um, you know, so again, I, I just think that having gone there, been there, uh, enjoyed uh, uh, being there and playing with a group of guys that a lot of those guys played in the big league. So it was a fun, fun team to play with. Any favorite stories from teammates or road trips or that kind of thing that really stand out from your time here? Well, I think anytime um, you're going through customs, uh, <laughs> it can be a little bit of fun, especially when it's cold and you're trying to trying to get through as quick as you can. You have one or two guys that pop off from the back, and then it slows the line down. So I think that, uh, but for the most part, no, I think that we all enjoyed um, our time there. Obviously, Danny having uh, hit 43 home runs and drove in over 100 runs, obviously, was the big ticket item for that year especially for that uh first year but um you, you had a lot of guys there that played in the big leagues ricky nelson johnny moses uh, dave valley uh paul serna to name a few so there was a whole lot of guys 
that were able to go there and play well and eventually make their way to the big league. When you look back on that time, you can talk about the players, but I'm wondering what comes to mind when I mention the name Russ Parker? Russ Parker? Wow, that is a name. That was a blast from the past. Um, I think he was a guy that always made sure that we got everything I need, that we needed. I think he was he was always around. He was easy accessible. Um, he made sure that uh, all the families were taken care of. He, he uh, checked and made sure that if you were staying in an apartment, um, that um, he made sure he sent people over to make sure that we uh, were staying in a, in a good spot. And if we weren't, he figured out a way to get us to another spot. So um, team travel was great. We always had uh, – you know, good meals in the clubhouse. So I got nothing but the utmost respect for him. Talk a little bit about what you learned from that experience as you made your way to the majors and, and the things that you take away from that from a player and personal level. Well, I, I just think that, you know, having played there and and understanding um, the way the game's played, um, it was it was uh, a, a great time, but again, I, I learned a lot from some of the older players. Jamie Allen was there, Al Chambers was there. Um, I got an opportunity to uh, play with Jack Bercani. Uh Him and Harold were also battling for um, uh, who was going to be the second baseman at the time. So if if Harold wasn't there, Jack wasn't there. Um, so again, they went back and forth. And sometimes me and Harold went back and forth and up and down for each other. So I, it was just a, an opportunity for uh, me to reflect on what uh, kind of player I wanted to be and, uh, and, and figure out ways to stay in the big league, doing extra work, um, stand motivated and keep pushing yourself uh, to ultimately uh, get to the big league and stay there. Because, again, there's a lot of guys that bounce up and down, and I was one of those guys for – for a little bit of time, but uh, finally got a chance to figure it out, um, figured out a way to eat right, uh, you know, make sure that uh, you're, you're lifting in the right way so that you're, you stay on the field so injuries aren't a part of uh, the program so that you allow yourself the opportunity to stay on the field, at least for the long term. Would the Darnell Coles of 1985 ever believe that he would have stayed in baseball as a coach after his playing career was over? To tell you, I would have uh, thought that I, uh, reality, yeah, I thought that I would coach at some point in time, but I was thinking that I'd probably coach my kids through high school and then eventually, you know, be a high school coach, which I did and all that. But uh, getting back in the, in the game coaching wise, I thought that there might be a chance, uh, depending on uh, what I was doing later in life, whether uh, me and my wife and and kids were had moved to uh, a different spot, and we were just relaxing on the beach or something like that. Or, uh, you know, you you end up having kids and grandkids, and uh, you're you're so immersed in in watching them grow up and watching them uh, kind of go their separate ways and, and what they're doing in life. Uh, but uh, eventually, uh, you know, baseball's been uh, a thing that I've had and done my whole life. And I'm just happy to be a part of it and be able to give back. And now you sit here as a coach. I'm wondering how much do you lean on that past experience, whether it be Calgary or anywhere else along your travels, to kind of coach your players along? 
Well, I think um, it comes uh, twofold. One is is that I was a player that played every day. I was a player that uh, platooned. I was a player that came off the bench. Uh, I played on the world championship team in Toronto, multiple um, uh, playoff teams that ended up losing the playoffs. Uh, you know, um, had to work my way up from the lower minor leagues all the way to the big leagues. Um, so there's some continuity in that. I've done a lot of things when it comes to baseball, but at, at this stage I'm still learning things. I mean, you're always learning um, to, to be able to give back uh, to the game and to younger players. Um, I, I know that in a lot of instances, um, you know, when I was playing, you, you thought that uh, a lot of things should be given to you and not uh, have to work for them. And, and, and early on, I had to figure that out. And that's my message to younger players uh, now is that nothing's given to you. Um, you have to work at it once your draft status, once you're done and you get paid and uh, that first year is over. Well, now you're just another player that's in the system with a bunch of guys that are trying to – a bunch of talented guys that are trying to make their way to the big leagues. So uh, I want to make sure that young players understand that this is not an easy game to play. Hitting is the hardest thing to do in the game of baseball. Uh, but you've got to make sure that you do everything under the sun uh, to give everything you've got because your career goes quick. Final question for you, Darnell. What does the game of baseball mean to you? Well, ba- the game of baseball has given me everything that uh, I have in life. Um, I, ma- I-, I found my wife, and we got married. We married 37 years uh, through baseball. Uh, I had a uh, pretty darn good career. Uh, with an exclamation point on winning a world championship in 1993 for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, I just feel like uh, now is uh, the perfect time in this game, especially as you get older, to reflect on, uh, you know, your career, your coaching career, your family, your friends uh, that allow you to understand that every day is a gift, and I want to make sure that every day that I'm alive, that I want to make sure that I give back to the game of baseball everything that is given to me. You've given us a lot of your time, Darnell. We appreciate it greatly. Thanks so much for taking that trip down memory lane, and here's hoping we can talk a little more about present-day baseball soon. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it again. Uh, everybody in Calgary, I had a great time. I loved every minute of playing that. Thanks to Harold Reynolds, Pat Casey, and Darnell Coles for joining us to wax nostalgic about that inaugural 1985 Calgary Cannon season. And thanks to you for downloading and listening. We are so appreciative of you taking the time to tune in and read our stories on albertadugoutstories.com. A special shout out this week to Dexter on Twitter who tweeted this week, I love the podcast. I find it so interesting to hear local stories and learn about Alberta's baseball history. We appreciate the kind words, Dexter, and love being able to bring these stories to to all of you. Until next time, thanks again for all of your support, no matter the platform of Alberta Dugout Stories.